0: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Greetings, constant listeners. You're listening to The Loser's Club, a Stephen King podcast. My name is Rockin' Randall, and because I never learned how to speak properly, my voice is shot to hell. Last night, while celebrating my dog's birthday with friends, I shouted over music for roughly five hours straight. So if my voice cracks or squeaks or trembles during this episode, please, please don't make fun of me. I promise I was talking about Stephen King. Regardless, I'm so excited for today's episode. Joining me today is an old friend, someone I've known close to 18 years, which is wild. His name is Laramie Dean. And if I'm not mistaken, Stephen King was one of the first things he and I bonded over. Uh, Laramie is a, is a Montana writer of queer horror fiction and the director of theater at Hellgate High School. He's published several plays from theater folk, including adaptations of Dracula and The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. And Many other great plays that I wish more people would see that I saw when we were in school together. And his (laughs) first novel, Black Forest, was released in November from Inkshares. Laramie, say hello and tell me what is the scariest thing you've ever seen in the wilds of Montana? (laughs)
1: <laughs> hello randall it is so nice to be here the scariest thing i've ever seen in the wilds of montana is um trump flags all over pickup trucks
0: god damn it i was i wanted you to talk about um the you told me this story that sticks with me we actually have a, a spinoff uh series on patreon called souls midnight where we Kind of just talk about like freaky shit, and I told the story you told me once about how you saw like a white thing in the woods with really long
1: fingers, Ugh. Ugh. arms, long arms, long yeah. arms.
0: I've got it wrong. I was always saying fingers, so
1: corrected. <laughs> Do you still believe uh, that okay. you saw so something? The scariest, scary? Yeah, the scariest supernatural thing that I've ever seen was yeah. I grew up on a um a farm twenty miles from civilization, which not that there's a ton of civilization in eastern montana i grew up in the 80s um stephen king was a huge influence as i'm sure we'll talk about uh but my farmhouse ludicrously haunted ridiculously haunted um several people i know that don't believe in ghosts including my husband have seen things felt things it's abandoned now it just is sort of quietly decomposing in the the middle of nowhere (laughs) <laughs> there's pictures of it all over my Instagram um it's very it's very haunting of hill house very whatever <laughs> walked there walked alone uh it, honestly it just sits there and there's a, a hill above it that has a homesteader cabin that is even worse shaped than the house itself uh and was when I was growing up but yeah i been in high school in winter time some friends had come to visit and we all saw this um tall white creature for lack of a better term i think it was wearing clothes though so i don't know what it was Mm -hmm. sartorially speaking and it um moved very swiftly through a little copse of trees that we had growing that were also denuded and bony and skeletal so it was you know it was set up to be creepy it had really long white arms and it moved in a very fast fashion and then it it turned and looked at me and i screamed and ran (laughs) are you gonna write a book about it I, I think I put it in things before or uh, uh, maybe referenced it. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I used to go uh, back out and, and challenge it uh, because of, of course I did. I would go out into the, <laughs> into, the into the little trees and be like, oh, whoever you are. I just Come like out here and it. fight me. <laughs> fight me like a thing. Uh, I, I think it was passing through whatever it was. It didn't leave any footprints. It didn't. Um, I don't know. We all saw it though. So that makes me yeah. feel slightly better. That's so spooky. Okay, so King was one of the first things we
0: bonded over. I remember coming over to your place right when we started school together and I was like sad or something. I think I was like lonely. And then I came over and you were so nice. And I remember you showed me a bunch of your king books, and we bonded over that. And so and you told me the story about how you wrote, Oh, he's got it. He's gonna tell you tell us he just showed it to me. Uh you showed me your copy of Sil- Silver Bullet, the uh that was signed by Stephen King, correct? And you wrote him a letter when you were a kid. Yeah. Tell that story. Yeah,
1: back. I was well, I was such a I was such a strange kid. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast also feel like they were strange a lot of, kids. A lot of
0: weirdos. Yeah, I was I
1: was I was gay, but I was also weird gay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my mom uh, taught me to read when I was very young, and I was immediately um, intrigued by scary things. The Wicked Witch and the, uh, the Wizard of Oz was the coolest, coolest thing. I wanted more of her, and my mother, oh, one of the summers of ninety or 86, 87, was reading uh, this, I wish you could see it, this copy of Salem's, Salem's Lot. Lot with movie
0: pictures yeah, and it's the, mo- it the mini series tie-in from the yeah, like, song,
1: from, yeah. From, the, from the year i was born uh lots of vampire movies the year i was born and interpret that however <laughs> you will uh, but my mom was reading it and, and she showed me the pictures because my mother is the coolest uh person on earth and i fell immediately in love with this nosferatu looking uh, uh reggie nalder as Barlow. i just fell in love with them in these pictures and um my mom saw to it that i had a copy of salem's lot to read the one with the movie pictures her mother-in-law my less kind grandmother locked it in an attic in an effort to prevent me from wow. <laughs> from accessing it and then when i finally was able to get up to the attic she gleefully told me she had burned it in the burning oh barrel the God. day before i know i know but i have an aunt who got me a copy <laughs> uh yeah so my mom got me to, got me into stephen king and um uh, my best friend at the time uh loaned me a videotape that had american werewolf in london and silver bullet and i and i was again eight seven or eight and i fell in love with both of these movies and i was terrified werewolves to this day still scare the hell out of me and uh i i I don't know how it came up but my mom was like well yeah the silver bullet is is based on a novel uh by stephen king and i said well I, i want it and we uh wrote to his publisher and then in on a on a Cold, cold day in February of oh gosh, I think it was eighty seven. Let's see, yeah, February of eighty seven. Um, this book came kind of out of the blue, and it was the the edition that's kind of hard to come by now. I have a much nicer copy as well. Uh, that has Cycle of the Werewolf and the Screenplay for Silver Bullet, and it came in in, in my memory, I like to tell people that it was the full moon. It came on the night of the full moon. And, uh, <laughs> if you've seen the Bernie Wrightson illustrations, oh yeah holy
0: crap. we're big fans uh, of, of Mr. Wrightson on this podcast
1: oh yeah yeah, I love him uh and I read it immediately and couldn't fall asleep that night and there was like a coyote howling outside and the full moon was beaming down and it was terrifying it was yeah terrifying. so uh he he signed it he autographed it to me uh for Laramie here you go watch out for old shaggy best wishes Stephen King February 9th <laughs> 1987 and it is a it is a hope of mine that someday I get to thank him for that. He knew he knew that I was a, a Montana second grader. He knew uh, yeah. what a nice guy, right? I know. To, to... That's such yeah, a
0: that's totally... such a cool story. And um, I don't know, like that was the kind of thing I always wanted to do when I was young, but my parents weren't as supportive in the sense that I didn't understand how mail worked or postage. And uh, <laughs> my parents didn't really help me when I asked them for help with that. They're like, you don't need to write letters to people. Um, and so I, I always wanted to, like, submit to, like, um, sweepstakes on Nickelodeon. But you had to send in for it. And I didn't know how mail worked. And they, nobody helped me. It was like nobody taught me in school. Like, what's wrong? You were with all failed
1: this. by the American public education. I'm a teacher, by the way. <laughs> and the uh,
0: postal system.
1: So, um,
0: so, yeah, King, you... Like, what are the books that really stood out for you? What are your favorites? Or, you know, what are your favorites? And then what are, like, the seminal ones? The ones that have, I don't know, imprinted themselves on your brain?
1: Yeah, well, uh, we were talking about this the other day. I um, came of age right when Stephen King was really achieving the height of his popularity, I think. And my mother, God love her, subscribed in multiple ways to the Book of the Month Club. And so this was when it was coming out and the Tommyknockers, and eyes of the dragon. And we had all these books. And of course I was eight and destroyed them. Um, I still have them. <laughs> it's like
0: cheesy fingers Ooh. or something. Yeah,
1: well, I hugged them and dragged them all over the place. <laughs> See, I just got food when all I say over that my I, copies. <laughs> when I say that I grew up in the middle of nowhere, like to get somewhere was at least a half hour drive. Yeah. Anywhere. And I I read voraciously. I've read all the time. Uh, And so these poor books did not, they did not survive (laughs) my love. My favorite, my favorite still is Salem's Lot. I'm incredibly devastated that this movie refuses to (laughs) find it. It bums me out. and uh, you know, I was I was driving across. I think our our first or second year of grad school, I, I drove back to Eastern Montana from Chicago. Mm-hmm. I think it was the end of our first year, and it's a 1,200 mile drive. And I got real twisted in my brain about how long it takes to go, and I just kept going and going and going. And so by 11 o'clock that night, I've been driving for 14 hours, oh, and man. I was listening to Salem Slot, uh, the the audio yeah book. The and keep in mind, I've read this book a billion times, but I was driving across at this point, North Dakota. And if you look at a map of North Dakota, it's a straight line. There's no services. There's no people. There's mm. nothing human in North Dakota. <laughs> and I got scared. I was so shocked. I was like, "Oh my god!" it's yeah. a lot of scary. I know. Uh, it I still love has the that power. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 The vampires are they're unsettling yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Uh, I love The Shining. Um, made me cry the last time I read it. Oh, we have to talk about Elevation, too. Oh, you read it? it Yeah, I did last night, and I
0: I cried! Uh, (sighs) Listeners, I... When Laramie and I hung out via Zoom, I asked, I was like, "Have you read Elevation?" Because we're going to talk about queerness and King, and uh, and he said no, and I was like, "Please, it's only like a hundred pages, and I would totally understand <laughs> if you didn't, but uh, I'm so glad I you did because we can chat about." it. I
1: that did. One of later. our bookstores had a bunch of copies, and so I grabbed one yesterday and I, I read it last night. Uh, uh, let's see. Oh, I, you know, when I was a kid, uh, the Pet Cemetery uh, was really scary. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed with it. I read yeah. it. Um, again, I would just kind of drag it with me (laughs) my hardcover my my giant scary hardcover uh and of course childhood my childhood it was also when they started doing um tv movies right like uh the tv movie of it um i just was prepared for this you
0: know. <laughs> he's got the uh, official edition with uh
1: with uh, with tim tim curry on the front i don't see that uh, one
0: out very often i feel like that's just, it's hard to yeah.
1: find and my original one vanished into the ages and so when i saw this at a bookstore recently i grabbed it uh my mother she keeps coming up because she's awesome subscribed me to castle rock the stephen king newsletter oh, did you yeah. ever
0: i never well oh, yeah I I, I I didn't know about these things like i wish i did yeah
1: i wish i had them i might have a couple of issues. it was like a newspaper and it came kind of off and on for years uh that was helpful helping me understand um i think a lot of what was going on yeah uh and told me things like here this here here's carrie the musical right uh which which flopped horribly of course <laughs> but it's so fascinating i'd love to do it someday but it's uh it's really like school shooting-y, and I don't. Yeah. I don't know if I want that energy <laughs> in my life. Well, at least I didn't um, make rage
0: the musical, you know.
1: Oh God! I suppose <laughs> it's not too late. I didn't think what else? <laughs> uh,
0: well, you had mentioned Christine. Um, oh, and
1: Christine. Yeah. Yes, and Christine.
0: And I is, want to talk about that I mean, a little bit
1: more. One yet. of my favorites. Well, it's it's been so impactful as far as how I write about um um men. Mm-hmm. uh Dennis Gildor is w- growing up was kind of like my um well, well how do I want to describe this like my perfect man mm. uh the way he you know he was nice he was masculine and jockish and, and intelligent and and of course he's Stephen King's favorite occupation besides writer which he becomes a teacher and uh I really responded to all this and so a lot of my writing uh Peter Straub does this too in a book called Shadowland that I I really like where there's like this kind of masculine yet sensitive and intelligent protagonist who is a protector of a um a quote weaker unquote uh queer can be read as queer character arnie in in uh christine Mm -hmm. uh dell in in shadowland and i really responded to that and um around the time that you and i were in grad school together that was a lot of what i was writing was these uh kind of straight-ish guys who could maybe be, yeah. could maybe Ben a little bit. Um, and I can trace that back to Christine and I can remember reading in the car, God damn you, Stephen King, Always was making me cry. And when he <laughs> says, I love you, man, it just, it like, oh, I was nine, mm-hmm. eight or nine reading this book. Um, that book made me cry too. It's,
0: I almost uh, wish but- I was on our episode that we did about it on this podcast, which was many years ago because it's one of his earlier books because the panel mm-hmm. that we had really- didn't like it mm-hmm. and i and i almost wish that i had like we had one i wish i was on that episode because i would have been like the lone defender uh which i am <laughs> on a couple like i'm the you know the podcast tommy tommy had i'm a tommy knockers defender uh-huh. and so uh but yeah but christine is one i want to revisit uh because it i was always drawn i was a big saved by the bell kid i know that's a weird thing to say right now but i was always drawn <laughs> to the jock nerd inexplicable friendship um, <laughs> that to me has always been uh, a trope and like a dynamic that I've always responded to, and I think it's because like I had people like that in my life, and um, and yeah, so I think I want to talk more about that dynamic as it exists through kind of your purview, but I think mm-hmm. first, like I've noticed, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, um. Like, over the last several years, I feel like I've really started to see a lot more queer readings of King. Like, there's zines that are, like, kind of devoted to it. There's academic papers. There's essays in places like Tor and Lit Reactor. Um, And I've talked to some – but kind of on the contrary, I've talked to some queer friends who are a little puzzled by this, like, you know, that – uh, queer readings of King are a stretch because he's the straightest man on earth. So I don't know, like, <laughs> where do you land on this uh, when it comes to you know applying that lens to someone like King?
1: Well, I, I think it's interesting to describe him as the straightest man on earth because in a, in a way he is, but in another way, there are so many gay sex scenes in his books, mm. in his earlier books. I mean, from the time that I was growing up, and you know, as a as a as a gay kid growing up in Montana, it's like you you take what you get as far as representation um and i can remember reading uh it and mm-hmm. it has a couple of or at least one really intense uh same sex uh, henry bowers and and patrick hockstetter have that and then it opens
0: with adrian mellon who gets you know, oh yes the and i forget
1: about order. them because you know so much of so much of uh, I, I actually found an article i was reading uh before our who is it i'll tell you who it's by um, as gay as Dad's old hat band, which is an expression I use all the time. Uh, this is from horror horrornovelreviews dot com, and it's an article by Lois Kennedy, uh, and it talks about it talks about uh, King's queer characters and growing, you know, being knowing that I was different than the rest of my peers and and seeing representations of actual gay characters like Adrian and Dawn in it presented sympathetically in a way like the last time I read it 2017 I was like okay I see what you're doing Mm -hmm. I I see what you're trying to do um but still like the the audience identification characters look down on them and can't take them seriously and uh you know King presents them as victims but that we're supposed to identify with in in a sense but also is like um laughable I think and that Hurt me a lot when I was a kid because uh, I was like, "Well, am I like that? Am I laughable? Am I? Do I do I get a, my main character moment?" As the <laughs> as my students like to say these days, uh, and I I so badly wanted to write gay characters, and I thought I couldn't. I, I thought, "Well, I can't because this is what they are." Mm. Uh, and when I was reading, um, King led me to Shirley Jackson and to Peter Straub, who are my two favorite writers. And Straub actually in uh his Blue Rose series at Coco has a main character who's gay. And it's positive. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. And so that helped me by the time I was in high school. But definitely younger, um, as a younger person reading these books, uh, my example I like to use all the time is uh poor oh what's his name it's escaping me the hardware store guy in Salem's lot oh who, yeah I
0: know who you're talking about yeah
1: um and it'll come back to me I'm I look it up uh uh the, you know the guy who uh, who let's see um George Midler yes George <laughs> George Midler who uh becomes a vampire and visits the high school boys and his darkest fantasies were satisfied and there's a not even a subtle com- a sexual component to the vampires in Salem's Lot. They are they inspire sexual urges and they're victims. Um a couple of characters have erections. And so reading that, it's this real complicated feeling that you get as a as a young queer person reading this going, oh, okay, well this exists and it's it's um presented but it's presented as as something bad and and dark yeah the darkest fantasies were were fulfilled of course that was 1975 and one of the things you know i read i read elevation last night and one of the things i do love about king in this article i just cited from the Gay's dad's old hat talks about how king has been so willing to grow and develop um because he's always been supportive of the underdog right i mean look at the name podcast yeah um and i think he's he's always willing to allow himself to grow and to change i mean i remember when i was reading insomnia oh, sophomore year of high school i think when it came mm. out and there was a, a the first positive gay character that i for positive gay male character he's yeah. often supportive of of lesbians although he's real problematic depictions of of it's always it's always women who are abused pretty straight women who are abused and then turn to other women Mm, yeah
0: that's in definitely an insomnia yeah
1: oh yeah and the gay character too is i remember thinking oh okay this is a this is a nice old man Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) oh yeah i remember reading insomnia and that was i think for me too i mean i wasn't I didn't grow up sort of in, you know, the middle of nowhere like you. Know, I was in the suburbs of Detroit, but even then I didn't, I wasn't, I, you know, it was like, I was just like a young straight kid outside of Detroit and I didn't see a lot of that. Like, I remember being very shocked by the representation because it's this old man named not old, but like, you know, oldish man named mm-hmm. uh, Gard, uh, or Gardner, I believe. It's not the Tommyknockers character. It's He's like Mm-mm. Ralph's neighbor, but I remember mm-hmm. he was. It was like the fact that he was gay was a very minor part of his character. And that's what I wasn't used to, you know, because in the media that I consumed when I was young, if there was a gay character, the whole, it revolved around the fact that they were gay or there was something unsavory about them that, you know, um,
1: or something was, bad happened to them. Do you remember, yeah. Did you ever watch um, The Hogan Family? Do you remember no, The Hogan no, Family? I never saw that. Oh, my God. Unless you're talking uh, about live...
0: Hogan Knows Best, I watched that.
1: <laughs> that's the whole <laughs> that Hogan reality show. <laughs> that <laughs> no, used to be valerie it was it was valerie harper's tv show and then mm-hmm. she i think asked for money and they killed her and brought sandy duncan to replace her but there was a, a character uh the uh, bateman jason bateman's best friend mm-hmm. who, and i thought i had made this up for years and years and i looked it up a uh, straight jockish character who gets aids and dies and mm-hmm. i remember thinking oh that's real dark i almost feel like they showed it to us in some kind of sex ed class in middle school like a cautionary yeah. a cautionary tale but yeah you know you're absolutely right when a when a queer character when a gay male character particularly was was presented they um they either had to be sacrificed or they were weak and sad and mm-hmm. um,
0: or AIDS was involved to some degree or yeah or a lot, when i was scared. young yeah that was it was kind yeah. of like those narratives were so uh prominent yeah
1: Mm-hmm. We just watched uh, Scream Queen last night. Have you seen this? You oh really yeah, the see the
0: uh, Friday the third is it? No, Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street, Elm Street two. Mm-hmm.
1: Documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the documentary uh, about Nightmare on Elm Street two, uh, and it was it was you know it was uh, Mark Patton who played the the, 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 the hero the protagonist. Yeah, in in the second movie, uh, has HIV and has been very outspoken about it and. You know, he vanished for years and years. He's an actor. wasn't he? Yeah, to Mexico, yeah. and he came back, and now he's a he's a he is an activist, and he's really funny. But it watching that movie or that documentary last night took me back to the eighties and nineties. You know, I was in college in the nineties, and AIDS was still an epidemic, and mm-hmm. it was still scary. Um, and so much queer horror comes out of that. So much queer theater. I have mm-hmm. a, a book from. The mid to late nineties, that is uh I can't remember what it's called, gay plays, I think. Yep. And as I got the, the Yeah, cult. yes, yeah. yes. And I got <laughs> so bored with it because um if it was a play about men, it was AIDS, 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 AIDS. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was in college and really studying theater, I wanted more. I wanted something other than that. And so to watch that documentary last night would be taken back to that time to go, yeah. oh yeah, this is what um so much of this horror is about, in a fear of infection, um, and and dark transformation, like Fright Night, which is one of my favorite um movies yeah, from the 80s, my favorite, it. probably my favorite vampire movie, right? And Jerry Dandridge is seductive, but um, if he kisses you or 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 bites you or whatever he's gonna do, you're gonna be transformed and kind of horribly, you know, mm-hmm. like Amanda Beers' giant (laughs) shark vampire mouth that's so that's so famous um i don't i don't i don't know if that's an attractive part of vampirism to (laughs) have your the ability to have your mouth stretch open (laughs) very joke yeah 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 uh so uh, and of course King is was so huge in the 80s I think that's when he really when he really approached um Yeah, we have like that's when he did like the
0: American Express commercial and that we kind of that was like the height of Pop King. Like we actually did an episode on our archive series on the Patreon where we talked about this uh, TV special he did where he kind of um, talked about favorite showed different clips from horror movies and talked about horror. And he was very much leaning into the character of Stephen King, the idea that he's, you know, like. They're like, oh, Mr. King, have you ever murdered anyone? And he's like, oh, I'll never tell. Just, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and um, I have
1: the heart of a small boy. I keep it in my desk. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Just stuff like that. And um, and so, yeah, I think that that was a really interesting time, I think, to grow up with King. Uh, because, yeah, he, he was like completely and totally ubiquitous in in culture like he everywhere he, yeah. i mean
1: i i have my my paperbacks that i have from when i was a kid um the signet ones and they're all in like really b- brilliant colors and mm-hmm. they have a little tiny picture on the front and they all match yeah it's very important that they match uh but i would pick them up at like the pomida in sydney montana uh, for three bucks however much they were in 1987 uh but yeah they were everywhere if you wanted steven king you got him. It yeah. was easy. Or you could always send it away. Like how I got my copy of Creepshow. I tore the back page of Carry Out and <laughs> mailed it in. And, and uh, there came Creepshow one day.
0: <laughs> so, like you mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which I think is kind of an interesting text in this context because that is a movie that is not explicitly about a queer character. Like the movie's so funny because it's all right there but nobody will acknowledge it, you know? And that's, like, mm-hmm. um, I think was a lot of the tension in art during that time. And um, and I feel like when you talk about Christine, I feel like you get a similar vibe from that, like, because I feel like you're reading between the lines a bit. And I, wa- like, and the question that I think is interesting is, like, was was King thinking about that too when he wrote it? Or is it something that you feel like you are pulling from it based on what you've been presented?
1: You know, and that's such a hard, that's a hard, such a hard thing too. It's, it's, uh, I always feel like if it's, if it's there to be read, it's there to be, read. this is where queer readings come from. Right. Right. And is it a, a far step from a loser character or a nerd character who's an outcast anyway, and an outsider to, to the gay kid who's, who's reading this and who wants to be accepted. And, um, you know, Dennis in Christine is, uh, presented as a, he's a jock, right? Yeah. He plays football and he has this girlfriend and, um, He and his dad have a scene where they kind of chide themselves for being male chauvinist pigs. And but Dennis manages to hold on to his friendship with Arnie's until, you know, the bitter end. Uh, I mean, side note, what I love about that book so much is how and I think maybe I don't know if people don't get this or if they don't care what moves me about it, you know. Haunted cars aside, it's it's a book about how friendship can die, how Mm -hmm. you can try to hold on to your friends from the past especially high school which is a, a crucible that will right. destroy many a friendship um but sometimes the gulf becomes too wide you know yeah you, yeah uh, you grow and you change and arnie and dennis um they're growing apart really and it's it's really sad of course because it's horror and because it's king they have to die or someone has to die right mm-hmm. arnie has to die and uh it's it's really that's what's crushing to me is is that this friendship has to has to end and there's the girl you know there's the Mm -hmm. the requisite girlfriend (laughs) although I love Lee too I'm a big fan of Lee uh Lee Cabot and it's such a good example of what King is is really good at um and especially with female characters I think too is he he draws and creates really believable three-dimensional women yeah um right back to Carrie yeah right he's not always so good with with gay men but um he understands mm-hmm. women it seems uh, i see and so many I, queer
0: I... readings of carrie i feel like that one really lends itself to that gaze i think
1: oh right i mean and that was the thing too it's like i mean she's this kind of witch character right she's picked on she's bullied and then she draws upon her her power to smite everybody mm-hmm. and then she feels bad about it kind of but <laughs> you know, and this is this is the thing this is why characters like Carrie or which characters are so popular with queer people because we all, we often feel that way. We feel powerless. We feel bullied and you know, everybody wants to have the ability to, to if not get revenge to at least say, Hey, you know, stop pissing on me in the shower.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I I'd say like, um, when I, when I think about your work and I think something that you specialize in is sort of queer readings that, um, examine the queer as monster like am i mm-hmm. characterizing that correctly or is my straight background? yeah absolutely
1: okay. absolutely monster queers yes and i holding on to the horror can be can be difficult um uh I, I always tell my students to like write the stories write the books write the plays that you want to read and that's what i finally started doing uh my current work in progress is a book called witch bones and i actually wrote a started writing at my senior year of high school and it was called cersei's daughter mm-hmm. and it was about it was very it was about a witch and boy who betrays her and really i wanted it to be a book about a dude and the boy who betrays him yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and how he can you know carry carry like can draw upon these powers and i didn't have i didn't feel like i had the permission or the ability to publish something like that at the time. And so now, uh, queer horror is still not as prevalent. Uh, my friend Steve Berman I, I is a great horror writer, a great queer horror writer. Um, but for the most part, it's a sort of like, uh, a, I feel like the horror genre is still a specialty. Yeah, uh, yeah. My husband right now is reading, there's a glut. I mean, there's a a billion of these kind of queer rom-com, gay male rom-com books that are out there, and he devours them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was not a thing that was available even a couple of years ago. Um, And I I honestly don't know of any other writers in Montana who write queer horror. I keep saying, if you're out there, get a hold of me.
0: (laughs) Well, hey, this is the gap for you to fill, so...
1: Um, yeah, I mean, but, you know, but honestly, we're, we're uh, my, like the, I don't know, when I was in Portland, Oregon last week, the bookstore that I was reading at the guy was like, and Lermy Dean is a pioneer of Montana Gothic. <laughs> and I was like, hell. Hell yeah, embrace that. <laughs> put that on your next I'll, book, man. I mean, but, you know, but it, but it is something that I'm really fascinated, not just the queer part of it, I think that's connected, uh, what it is like to be gay in this small, small I mean, rural isn't even the right word. Mm. I, I really wish you could see where I grew up um, and how the winters are. You know, my my junior of high school, it was sixty below, routinely the the winter of 90, 95, 96. and I mean, it's 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 really fascinating to me and, and creepy. You know, these these homesteaders came and they brought their own legends and, and myths and 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 uh, uh, beliefs to. Mm-hmm to eastern montana and they're kind of gone like yeah. they it's hard to live out there there's not a lot of of reason and i said the winters are ridiculous yeah <laughs> winters yeah. are ridiculous and there was a huge drought when i was a kid too that was kind of the other thing uh but this idea of these abandoned houses and going out there and and doing things is, is fascinating to me and just from a, a queer perspective because there's nothing like that yeah, yeah. right now and yeah. i i enjoyed doing it. (laughs)
0: Um, I've seen a lot of criticism of King. When I was kind of looking at the various articles, like the way people have sort of written about King and queerness, um, I've seen a lot of criticism. I I mean, just here's a couple Reddit thread titles. Uh, Are there any positive queer characters in King's work is one. Uh, At what point does King stop writing gay men as pedophiles is another. Um, I've seen articles about villains of his being queer coded which is something i've heard you discuss in sort of the larger realm of storytelling when we were younger um and this is just a fun side note but i'll always the movie Hostel, the eli roth movie is never the same for me because you and i watched that together and you fucking like broke down how that movie is all about repressed queerness and i remember being like no it's not and then you explained it to me and then (laughs) I was like, and then you were like, I don't know how this wasn't intentional. And I'm like, well, just look at Eli Roth. It wasn't intentional. But now whenever I watch that, it is obviously the story. You're welcome. (laughs) I know. I just want to say like, that was one of the most, I think like, because it was so funny because you literally stood up, the movie was credits were rolling and you stood up in front of the TV and you regaled uh, our party with why this was the story of queer repression and every fucking note you hit right on the head and it was so <laughs> funny so i
1: yeah i haven't seen it since then but I, my memory of that is that i hated it yeah i, I mean it's
0: I, it's it is what it is it.
1: i mean i'm i'm a defender
0: of of a lot of like quote unquote torture porn but i certainly don't mm-hmm. expect other people to like it
1: <laughs> did he make uh, um cabin fever yeah yeah that was his first, the first cabin fever yeah. okay and i you know i saw that in the theater whenever it came out and i i I didn't i don't think i quite understood that it was supposed to be funny yeah (laughs) and then i was like oh yeah this is the comedy like it's a comedy Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i don't know i i I get lost in genres well and yeah i think that
0: that like and i think that kind of humor too is i don't know it's like a kind of a a zany hyper masculine kind of humor too. And uh, because that's very much Eli Ross style. So that's why, again, I think it's so interesting about that read of hostile, but anyways, I, I, but then like even in 1992, I found this old published piece, um, about King and homophobia. And I don't know, like, are those kind of points valid? Do you think as somebody who has really spent a lot of time with King and really does, you know, ultimately love King, like, A, do you think those are valid, and B, how do you sort of reconcile, you know, your enjoyment of King with, um, you know, depictions Mm. that, you know, rub you the wrong way or make you feel bad?
1: Yeah, and that's such a good question, Um, and it's a thing that we, I teach a a film studies unit to my intermediate theater classes, and we talk about that, like, with uh, Hitchcock, because Mm -hmm. Hitchcock is such a problematic person, uh, who was making movies, you know, 87, 80 years ago, and when you look at King, and of course the difference is Hitchcock died and stop, King continues. Yeah. And I the, and this is something I wanted to talk about too, is this idea that I have I feel in a lot of ways that I've kind of grown out of Stephen King. And it mm. bums me out because he was so influential and such a huge part of my my growing up, my teenage years. He led me to well, uh Shirley Jackson and Peter Straub, my two favorite authors. Um and you know, like when I read Elevation last night, I really couldn't put it down. But I can say the same thing about um, Dreamcatcher, which is mm. one of the worst <laughs> books I've ever read in my entire life. But I couldn't stop. I can remember reading it in whatever two thousand ninety nine, and I, and I was unable to to put it down. And so I feel like that's a that's a real talent, a real power. Um, but I mean, you have to. You, I'm also a huge believer in redemption and people who are willing to learn and grow and King does that yeah uh you read Salem's Lot? it's from 1975 and he was a a young a young man um writing in a specific genre with a certain set of expectations in a certain place in time uh and he's grown beyond that I mean I don't want to be judged for things I wrote when I was you know 25 yeah for real (laughs) I I would hope that people would say I've you know grown and, and changed um and it's it's it but it is hard to reconcile. That's kind of the other thing. Um, when the pandemic started, I was in the middle of Salem's lot and I went from Salem's lot to Firestarter, which yeah. I hadn't read since high school, but really remember loving. And then I read the Tommy Knockers again, which is the same thing. Like I was obsessed with Tommy Knockers when I was a kid. I same. Liked...
0: I read it four times.
1: Yeah. The idea of of a small town being destroyed and people transforming and becoming the things that they're not anymore. That's what's so scary to me about like the Stepford Wives and Salem's Lot is you look like you but you're not you mm-hmm. um i mean let's look at marjorie glick uh played by clarissa Kay in the 1979 salem's lot movie as a, as a human woman mother she's this kind of like blah blah and then she becomes a vampire and she's- fucking terrifying uh and, and beautiful and horrible at the same time like i i will look at pictures of her and i'm like oh there's, there's some kind of weird beauty there but she has those scary yellow eyes and the fangs that if you look at screen captures they're like oh yeah there's there's stuff on them like I've been wanting to
0: revisit that miniseries. I, I I watched. Oh, you should. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember you know that what, summer? A... Do you remember that summer where we watched like we watched all, all of those the miniseries? Yep. That was so shiny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We watched I really the Shining did. one, and we watched I really the, should re-watch. the Rob Lowe re-watch. Salem's Lot. <laughs> I remember watching it well, very vividly.
1: You um, know, I so badly want. I I I I feel like my favorite things have been taken and and made and remade so many times, and I just get disappointed. Uh, but I want to hold on to them anyway. And I was so, this is my hope for the new Salem's Lodge. Should it ever be <laughs> <laughs> released, ever
0: let out of the vault.
1: <laughs> Please. Like I have the, I, I bought the new, the new movie version when I was in Spokane last summer. Yeah. Um, was I not going to uh,
0: uh, We were talking about uh, rabbit hole oh, oh yeah, yeah. The yeah representations.
1: The of, oh yeah. So I was rereading. I, re- I read uh, Red Salem's Lot. I read The Firestarter, and I read The Tommyknockers, and um, it was it was. And then I read Needful Things again, and then I read um, The Library Policeman. Like these these books, I really loved when I was a kid. And I really struggle with them. Uh, you you know, if you are interested, you can do a, a just a Google search uh, for queer problematic queer representations in Stephen King, and you'll find a ton of stuff. Mm. Uh, you know, and we were talking you and I about Needful things the other day, and how cool. Like I remember loving the interlocking nature of all oh, yeah. the different threads and how it all came together. And that climax is with with Gaunt and the little traveling bag and the magical flowers. Like it shouldn't work. But it still works for me. It's so weird, <laughs> but like, yeah, because we talked about that at length on our episode.
0: And I uh like it is such a strange like Deus Ex machina kind of moment, but there is a power to it. Like and oh, we all well,
1: have... the idea of magic and, and yeah. the, the demonic and the you know, uh of course it I, I actually really do love the adaptation of it. Um
0: yeah, the, we the we interviewed one. the director, uh, C Fraser Heston, oh, Heston? Fraser song, Heston? Yeah. yeah, It's one of I the like most the charming men of, uh, I've ever spoken to.
1: I've got the longer one too. Did you ever, you've seen the four-hour one on TNT, yep. right? The oh yeah, one. we watched
0: it for the pod. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it is wild. I love it. But you know the um. And as I was reading this article, like the as gay as Dad's old hat band, which I just love to say that as gay as Dad's old <laughs> whatever that means. Um, the uh, the the principal and the woodshop teacher in in Needful Things are oh,
0: I remember that Horrifically.
1: Yeah, because horrifically. they have like they're
0: like collecting child porn and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and then there's and, and, but there's yeah.
1: also these weird like stereotypical things like the bird's name is Tammy Faye after Tammy Faye Baker mm-hmm. because gay men are all gay men love Tammy her. Yeah. And I was a, I happen to. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then you would also <laughs> mention also... like
0: Firestarter has the man Oh, over, well, and
1: yeah. you know, and but again, in the early 80s and mid 80s and I just want to say he didn't know any better. Oh,
0: sure. And like certainly the last thing we're trying to do is like try to like cancel him or anything but oh no no no, no. yeah yeah so yeah.
1: elevation let's talk let's talk about elevation really well fast, let me say two, I... i'll
0: just say like i think you're i think it's it's worth it though to bring up like because you know i think about the stand too, the scene with the kid and trash can man where he basically mm-hmm. yes like, shoves yes. a gun up his ass like yep. when i was young and i was consuming king like and that's why i said i was surprised by insomnia right because you get this like pretty just normal gnar- like a very, a very normal sweet man who is also gay and that is a minor part of the character that was I think that was jarring for me because having being someone who was just hoovering up these King books I, I was developing I think because I didn't know gay people in my life uh, because mm-hmm. I lived in the Detroit suburbs and if people were were gay they weren't out you know and so it was like I was having my perception in a lot of ways of queerness was being shaped by media and a lot of the media yes. was you know about the things that we've been discussing and so you know it's I I certainly didn't have like a negative view or anything. I mean, I was, you know, I was open-minded enough in that sense, but I was consuming so much media where, uh, uh, pedophilia was like rampant in the gay community. Uh, everyone was sick or diseased. Um, there were, you know, they were all like quote unquote deviants. like the idea of like men dressing up like women, like that's in multiple Mm -hmm. King books. Like the Mm -hmm. idea is that men dress up like women and not just,
1: not just in their clothes, but their underwear, it's their underwear, the
0: underwear specifically. And then they're usually punished in some way, you know, it's like, and then, um, but then the, uh, the stand too, was, was a really jarring moment for me because, It's so, and I think this relates to is that King's work is so intensely sexual, um, like sometimes to a comic degree. And a lot of people, like that's something that we all agree on the pod is like, we were all reading these books when we were, you know, same as you, like Mm -hmm. really young. And so a lot of our first exposures to uh you know, sex as as it was portrayed in art was in these books. And it's really and it's not not always the most accurate depiction of these things. And that's why we have a section on the podcast called Pound Cake where we kind of poke fun at these moments because uh and, you know, it's not that he's not capable of writing a good sex scene. He is. But it's like it is interesting to me. That, yeah. When you just think about some of these um, things that resurfaced again and again. And and yeah, you're right, though. There is that evolution. And and so I do think it's worth it to kind of contrast those depictions of, you know, that were rampant in the 70s and 80s in his work to something like Elevation, which came out, you know, it's a novella, came out a couple of years ago. And it's essentially about um, a man who kind of comes into conflict with this uh, lesbian couple that runs a vegan restaurant in Castle Rock. And um, so yeah, like, what was your reaction to reading that, especially when you put it in contrast to his earlier work?
1: I am so conflicted, because I see all the different sides of things. And I understand and I, I was trying to (laughs) analyze my just kind of gut emotional responses. I was reading before bed last night. And I got teary. And King is so good at that. When I read um, *The Green Mile*, I yeah. was uh, flying back from from Florida with my mom on an airplane. I was probably twenty one, and I remember just being punched.
0: Mm-hmm. I sobbed my, like a baby at that book. I, I
1: saw. I was sitting. Thank God, I had the window seat. I was like turned to the window and just trying not to let the steward or the, the flight attendant. <laughs> <laughs> I was crying. I was like, no, no, "I'm fine. Don't bring me my coke right now." Uh, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I felt I didn't. Quite feel that emotionally about um, elevation, but I did get I get teary because he does what he does so well, which is to create pretty well rounded characters. I think in a short amount of time, I liked the doctor, I like the doctor's wife, I liked the the, the queer couple, I liked mm-hmm. the main guy. My problem is it's a it's a it's a straight white male savior, and I'm so over that in my life. I'm so over that as a reader. I'm so over that as a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, I. <sighs> i don't don't help us well, see that's, that's <laughs> exactly. that was actually my next
0: question which is uh because i'm interested in this like do you get the sense when him. you read a book like that that he's almost trying to because you know he's heard these criticisms of the way yeah when well, his daughter naomi
1: is gay exactly. his daughter Naomi yeah. is gay to a woman and so yeah. you know that that has to be a part of it uh i i think i think yeah and honestly then good for him like not to be condescending at all, but, like, yay, <laughs> thanks. I appreciate that. Do you that. think that he, like,
0: do you think that he needs to atone, or should he just let it be? Like, uh, like when somebody does uh, have that I, kind you know, of, yeah. Because you was, say, like, you uh, didn't I, want the straight white male, like, kind of saving. Yeah. Yeah. So your issue's so more with the framing. there's a short story.
1: There's a short story in, is it Full Dark, No Stars, about a gay man that gets locked in a, is it a, uh, a port- a porta potty. Porta
0: potty. That's not full. I think that's uh, just after sunset. Yeah, um, that
1: yeah. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is kind of when I stopped reading him. Was around. Those I just didn't feel like I. I, Oh, the out. I read The Outsider, but that was so gross and horrible and made me feel icky. I remember you had a copy
0: of Duma Key in your house when we were in school together, and I ended up reading that a couple years ago, and I loved it. It was such a minor thing at the time, but people people i know.
1: And I really love Duma Key. I do love Duma Key. It's scary and it's sad. It makes like it makes me again. He does so well by creating these characters that you fictional people that you feel bad when they die. Mm -hmm. Um. And I, yeah. I've only read it the once. I like, uh, is it Lisa or Lissy? The Lissy oh, Lissy's story, story. I like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that one too. I just haven't... Uh, anyway, I, I don't I, I don't know if he needs to atone, if he needs to do this. Uh, I do remember reading that short story that w- the, was first person and it was a gay male character and thinking it was okay. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you. Yeah. You know, being yeah. aware of, yeah. these, of these very problematic depictions from... F- I mean, Salem's Lot's almost 50. Salem's yeah. Lot is 48 years old, yeah. which look at the way that the world is. I tell my students, like when you're going to look at a work of art, you need to understand context, what's right. happening, where is it from, who is the audience, who's the writer. Um, you know, for a joke, it's who's telling the joke and who is the joke on. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of times, well, so my husband and I watched The Simpsons um, for dinner mm-hmm. every night. And we watched like from the beginning all the way up to the, the whatever season was 2020 and watching gay character depictions it's only recently, like in the last year or so, that they've become slightly less problematic, slightly less troublesome. Yeah. Um, Smithers is less is more of a person and less of a joke. And I, I don't know, as a queer audience, a member, I appreciate that. So I, I think to answer your question, I say, yeah, I, I'm I bothered by the white savior thing, but I mean, Stephen King is, I don't know, seventies in his seventies, seventy five, right? yeah. Yeah, straight white dude in his 70s. Yeah. So No, I, I mean, that that is something
0: we've discussed on the pod a lot is there, especially when, when we discuss his later books, it's th- that you can very much see that he's taken a lot of the criticism that he's received to heart. I mean, this is somebody mm-hmm. the thing about King is like he publishes everything, right? I mean, well, <laughs> ostensibly, like, you know, that there's like a, a trunk full of unpublished stuff. Oh, but, yeah.
1: But remember when he was, tried to stop? do you remember that in the nineties that's he tried like to around
0: the- where we're at yeah. in terms of our chronological reread is like <laughs> basically when he finished the dark tower he was like talking about retiring a lot and then and then like a year later it's like Colorado kid comes out uh comes out it's like he can't stop and so like that's where we're at right now, which is this sense of like I feel like it's either inertia or just something is like i I you know it's a compulsion and But yeah, I do think, you know, that he publishes so much that, of course, there's going to be stuff that doesn't age well or because he's not, you know, he wasn't being, I think, overly precious about what he was publishing. And he's such a pop writer in the sense that he is always informed by the what's happening in the world at the time, the pop culture of the time, like the prevailing Politics. attitudes of the time, that, you know, a lot of that stuff does come through. I mean, the way he writes black characters in his early stuff we've talked about is, is extremely oh, yes. um, distressing sometimes. But it's like, but it does evolve. You know, he's somebody who really does mm-hmm. like make that, I think, earnest effort to create uh, well-rounded characters. And it's, and I know you feel this way too. It's not so simple as like, why doesn't he just write, like, a, a nice gay character, like, a, a who is who has no problems or something like that. Like, that's not what you're asking for. You're asking for right. characters who aren't defined by stereotypes or, um, or deviancy or, uh, you know, frame through this sort of societal lens of what the most unsavory homosexual in your life is like.
1: And, well, uh, and you know, yeah. Elevation reminded me of um, a movie like a hairspray mm-hmm. where it's like, Oh, thank you. White girl. Thank you. White girl <laughs> for coming along and, and saving the black people. Thank you for that. And I felt very similarly about the character um, of of uh, Deirdre Mm. um, where she's, she has this chip on her shoulder and her wife is so grateful that Scott knocked it off. And I just was like, (laughs) I don't, I don't need you telling me to knock a chip off my shoulder motherfucker. Like I don't need that. But
0: I think Um, that you, but you can also recognize that it's a, it was a gesture of goodwill, you know what I mean? Like, yes, King Robert, Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's but why it's, it's like, complicated. But he's
0: still, you know, he's at the same time, he's still somebody who grew up in Maine in the fifties, and in the uh, 50s. yeah, and like, you know, yeah.
1: I feel like I feel like he and I could be friends. <laughs> oh, I'd love it. <laughs> I'd love to be friends with Stephen King. Well, and you know, that's the thing too is he he is such an open minded, open minded guy. I mean, follow his social media, read read mm-hmm. his his um non stuff and, and he really is uh and he has good taste in literature that's the other thing like dance macabre I would love for him to do another one of those before, yeah. he, before he dies like, I would please love do another too
0: yeah like we'd love dance that
1: macabre. yeah <laughs> dance macabre too. electric boogaloo like do yeah. something like that because it led me and I think it led so many other people our age and our generation to these other writers like Peter Straub like Ann Rivers Siddons like uh, Jack Finney um who otherwise might not have been as searchable right. or as prominent? You know, he's so
0: um, like that's something else I appreciate him is he's he's so big on getting like. Under Red writers read you know mm-hmm. like he's always promoting stuff and and it's funny though because in that same vein since he's so transparent about like what he's reading and what he's enjoying and what he's watching and he's always recommending stuff and I mean it's almost like a cottage industry uh like in publishing right now it's like they all want that Stephen King quote you know they want to put it on the book I've seen it yeah. like whenever I'm compiling all this stuff for our newsletter and um he you know it's like uh I, I almost wonder if he... The reason I don't think he could ever write a second dance Maccabre, even though that would be so cool, is I'm not sure he's <laughs> that into horror right now. I think he is yeah. mostly into crime and mystery and thrillers. And like that's the stuff that he's always recommending. And when he talks about the shows he watches and the stuff that he's consuming, I, he does not talk about horror very often. Which and, is
1: maybe you know, why I've, quote, grown out of him, unquote, too, sure. is because I'm not into mysteries and thrillers and stuff like that. I want the supernatural. Like, and, of course, people... And I know your audience knows this. They love the universe, right? Mm-hmm. The Stephen King universe. They love the interconnectedness. There were a couple of little Easter eggs in Elevation that I was like, "Oh, Bannerman! Yep.
0: Oh, yeah, he's he's um, really into like now that I don't know the stakes are. I think once the stakes lowered, once Dark Tower ended, he got a little bit almost fast and loose with that kind of stuff. Like Billy Summers, which I think is a pretty good book, despite it, uh, you know, being a a pretty straightforward, I think, uh, uh, crime thriller. Uh, that's got references you would not expect in like to the larger Hmm. King universe in a book like that like I think he's really and then also his book I would say if there's one you should read if you're into the supernatural even though it was released under hard case crime his book later has a really strong supernatural Mm. horror bent that I think I think it was only published under hard case crime like for contractual reasons it's more of a horror novel and it has a really really strong tie to uh, i'm not going to spoil it but a major uh king work and it's it's really i actually quite like it it's pretty good and it's only like well, 250 300 pages so
1: I still, I still love all that stuff too, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. as much as it's... And part of part of my, my quote, and I'm going to put myself in quotation marks, quote growing out of them on quote could be that I read it so much. Yep. But I feel the same way about things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I was such a huge fan of and was such a huge part of my development in college. And I just... Yeah, I, I watched it yeah. pretty constantly from nineteen ninety eight until two thousand and ten, mm-hmm. and I it just could be that I overdid it. Yeah. You know, I've read Salem's Lot probably twenty times, maybe right. more, and I picked it up this fall to try it again, and it was like, oh, I just I just know this so well, which is yeah. maybe why I like it. Re- release the movie. Release I think that's that.
0: so yeah, and I think I've heard that from a lot of people too. Even people who like still kind of continually listen to the pod. Even though they'll say I've kind of grown out of Stephen King, but I think that even once you've done that, the nostalgia factor, like having Mm -hmm. conversations about it and stuff like that is still enjoyable, even if the work itself is not something that you necessarily want to revisit.
1: Look at at Silver Bullet, right, which um, was so shat upon when I was a kid. And I have loved this movie because it reminds me i know it's filmed in virginia or west virginia but it, it so much reminds me of my little hometown where i grew up the way that the people are uh, of course it's the mid-80s so they look like how I right. these people uh, i know like,
0: i love ever like i wish we could get another ever mcgill like nobody looks like that in movies anymore
1: no you know? and that movie it was so it critically critically panned yeah um now there's a- a- yeah it has and i uh, my husband got it for me um on blu-ray for christmas a couple years ago and i can watch it it's one of those movies i can just watch it again and again and again i can watch it once or twice a year uh and i know it by heart megan follows holy crap she's amazing yeah. um the fact that both the, the boys are dead bums me out um but there's you know the scene that really stands out to me in that is the fight between gary busey and the mom mm-hmm. uh while after marty goes to bed it's like a it's real it's like real people and i just don't know why people didn't see that right back then i've always kind of been like is my should i question my taste is my taste level questionable and i'm no. like no this is it's human drama right I, with werewolves i don't think I, I've I'm met... sorry. The yeah. werewolf was fucking terrifying i don't know people <laughs> were talking about the werewolf suit either
0: the werewolf is fucking terrifying people are wrong They're i've wrong. never met a stephen king fan who doesn't love that movie it is <gasps> yeah and it's not just nostalgia i know like Like I actually never saw it when I was young. I saw it when I was like in college, I think, for the first time, and I still love it. You know, it's like for me, it's a movie that I don't know. It kind of captures, I think, the the um, the comics, like the EC Comics side of King, a little bit, you know. And uh, but with a little bit more depth, you know, more so than something like Sleepwalkers, which I think was what he was going for. (laughs) Which I know is a rough watch. It's it's funny and it's. I want
1: to rewatch that because I haven't seen it since high school,
0: and I love Alice Krieger. And then listen to our episode me and Mike were a little drunk during it and it's a little more chaotic than it probably should be. But how could you not get drunk while watching that
1: movie? Uh, I want to, you know, I want, I want to give it a shot. Like Alice Krieger. I know her from ghost story, the, the ghost story adaptation. And she's like the most fabulous human being on the face of the planet. Um, uh and was it Brian Krause is that who plays the the son that rings the, the bell I can't remember the exact I, name I just remember um from the Twin Peaks Charms, from the Charms series but he's and and made Shin and Mick and I mean like all these these they're, they're people that mm-hmm. are are still around uh so I feel like it could be fun I just I just have to get around it <laughs> yeah. well let's talk
0: about your book I I'm very interested in how you approach like somebody who is concerned with with queerness within horror and you've been writing horror as long as I've known you I mean you've written several plays you wrote uh, original plays were horror and I remember them very vividly uh from my time because I never wrote horror but I loved horror so it was something that I uh admired because I think writing horror is incredibly difficult and it's something I've I've I don't know. I've only dabbled in, but I, I guess like when you started black forest and I know you've been working on it for a couple of years, like what was your intention okay. and like, how did you approach queerness specifically when you were writing it?
1: Well, it's what I said. It's, it's, I I wrote the book that I wanted to read. Mm-hmm. I, Had just finished reading Shirley Jackson's Hangs a Man, which when I went through my Shirley Jackson renaissance in high school, I read The Haunting of Hill House my freshman year, and it scared the living hell out of me. And then I read uh, We've Always Lived in the Castle and the Sundial and all these the used bookstores in eastern Montana were full of her paperbacks Um, and they're super hard to come by and super rare now. So I'm glad I held on to them. But well, um, I read Hangs the Man. It's a book about a young woman who uh, has is possibly sexual assault, sexually assaulted, and she goes to college and then mentally disintegrates. And when I read it sophomore year of high school, I hated it. I, I think I still have a really scathing review I wrote <laughs> in my honors thing. <laughs> I hated it so much. And then I reread it. Um, Penguin republished all of her books a couple years ago. And I reread it, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. This is a an book. And it really inspired me because I had just started to teach high school, and I was really interested in... Uh, the journey of my students who would graduate i mean missoula is eighty thousand people and we have the university of montana is here and uh it's kind of a liberal oasis in the middle of a pretty reddish state right now Mm. and these kids would leave and a lot of them would go far far away at 18 and then come back either at the end of the first semester or soon or uh, at the end of the year and they come back to missoula and maybe they would go to the university of montana here maybe they wouldn't but there was always this sense from them and their peers that they had failed somehow And i thought about myself and how i came to missoula for college but i had lived here for three years in high school and so when i came back i had friends it wasn't until i moved to carbondale for grad school that i really pushed myself and Mm -hmm. it was hard. It was really hard and scary. And that first year I I think about it, I lived in this terrible broken down trailer. I call the trailer broken dreams. And uh I just watched a lot of your silver bullet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was an awful awful place. I think it's torn (laughs) down. I think it's gone to the hell where it belongs. Um but I I um it wasn't until I moved to Carbondale that I really pushed myself like that. And so I try to understand what it was like and my so black forest is about a kid named nathan who uh is gay but he's he's like me he was a weird gay kid his best friend is popular and out and everyone loves him so it isn't it isn't the fact that he's queer that makes him unpopular uh which bothers him right right. (laughs) and he sees he sees he sees dead people he sees horrible visions of really fucked up dead people and he's trying to figure out He's trying to figure out love and and how to find like the one. He wants the one. And so he goes to college in the in the the university of his hometown, which is a very thinly disguised Missoula. Please <laughs> don't assume And um he, uh, b- b- men from the university campus start disappearing and he starts having worse visions of not just dead people, but like monstrous dead people and demons. And um, is, is his sanity unraveling? Does he have real supernatural powers? What's, what's going on? And it's, I mean, it's very, it's very inspired by Shirley Jackson, but it's also like, I wanted the supernatural element. And I was really fascinated with her use of the, the demon lover. Where is this a real... A real person is this somebody something that these these women she writes about are making up but i really responded to that aspect of her work and of course uh, king uses um you know demons and scary horrible things and i really wanted them to be more literal and less psychological or maybe sure. somewhere in the in between um but i you know as much as i talk about this kind of growing out of him he was such an inspiration to me i really think i wouldn't be a writer if i hadn't discovered him when I was a kid I think he gave me the permission to say I can do this as a career yeah you know I can actually be a writer and I can write these things that I want and I don't have to disguise the characters I I if I want to write about um a a gay boy I can yeah uh and and um, I have a whole bunch of a whole bunch of of, of other manuscripts. <laughs> <laughs> to go, but no, when um, you say
0: like when you say the Shirley Jackson inspiration, and obviously you know her influence trickled down to King, and I, because for me it's like I hear. I see the fingerprints of King, like all over the premise you just described, like obviously Shirley (laughs) Jackson too, but there are so many things like, I mean, just that central relationship that you mentioned is very Christine, obviously. Um, But Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think I, obviously I think it it transcends just Christine. It's a, it's, you know, an archetypal relationship. And I think it's one that you have written about a lot in your life. And, uh, and so, yeah, it makes total sense that this is sort of the book that you would write. Um, Like, yeah, I guess like when, um, like what do you what do you hope people take from it? Like, what is like uh, your intended ideal audience for this book?
1: Oh man, everyone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is I've had some friends of mine, um, a couple of straight female friends, have said how much they hate the protagonist, but they really like this um, kind of fucked up dude that my protagonist Nathan is having a, a kind of a down low affair with mm-hmm. in high school, and they really like seb who's the fucked up guy um and i kind of feel like it's because they want to fix him Mm -hmm. and my husband who read a couple of drafts of this and then the final said oh god seb is like the nightmare for gay men (laughs) seb is that guy who will call you a faggot and then let you suck his dick on Mm -hmm. the side Mm -hmm. um let you right which is which is monstrous and scary and horrifying so i i guess i would say i hope people take away this idea that like there's more than one kind of gay person Mm -hmm. (laughs) surprise uh that um uh i don't know the psychological part of it because as much as i say i want the monsters to be real and i feel like they're real um uh, this idea of a disintegrating personality i i hope is interesting i think it's interesting um uh, I don't know, Montana's big right now. So, <laughs> I don't know. If, you're in Montana. Um, if, you, if you really like Yellowstone, <laughs> read Black Forest by Laramie um, Dane. Everybody.
0: What, uh, like, and so you're also, because you, you mentioned earlier that you haven't seen or you haven't, like, seen a lot of queer horror that scratches your itch for it. But is there any, like, and you mentioned that one author. Is there any other authors you'd recommend or, or anybody um, else? Can-
1: Caitlin Kiernan um, wrote The Drowning Girl. And, and she's a uh, more queer female. Mm-hmm. But I re- And Peter Straub loved her. And she loved Peter Straub. And, and the ghost stories fingerprints are all over that. But I really like that as far as like un- unreliable narrators. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge fan of unreliable narrators. And, you know, <laughs> some people, they do not like ambiguity. And I do. Yeah, So... To be able to say that this is this or this is not this, I mean, that's a very Shirley Jackson-esque thing, too. And King is not super into ambiguity. No. <laughs> it's like, there's a werewolf rampaging <laughs> around the time. Which is really a werewolf.
0: Is, which I'll say, I think is part of what has, like, I love ambiguity myself, but I feel like there's a comfort when I read King because there's so little of it, and I'm getting sort of a very definitive story that is... I mean, his books always make me think, and there's a lot of ideas there, but he's often always just happy with entertaining you too, you know, mm, and yes. making you feel yeah. satisfied. Like I, have um, you read, oh, have you ahead. read ghost stories, Straub's ghost story? Not since, not in a couple of years. We did an episode on the pod about it, uh, recently, uh, cause we, we like to talk about major influences. Like we have an episode on haunting of Hill house too. And, uh, and that was a book I feel like everyone who was on that episode, Ghost Story, I feel like only maybe one of them had read it before. And they all ended up, like, being obsessed with it. Like, it's it's, it's a great it's book. so complex, I, yeah.
1: I think. And Straub does. I, I used to say, and, and again, you know, I, I love King. But I used to say that Stephen King would um, kind of, how did I to mean, make, to make a statue, Stephen King would, like, boom, 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 boom. And then Peter Straub would like delicately, like ding ding ding. Yeah, ding, yeah, ding. yeah. There was more detail and and a little bit more again ambiguity. And I, I really respond to that. Like, what's it, how much of this is actually happening? How much of this right. is real? Um, in a book like Floating Dragon, which was really influential on the Tommyknockers, I think right. that's why I read Floating Dragon was because Bobby and Gard talk about it in, in uh, in the Tommyknockers. Uh, like how much of this is real? And as as a as a an audience member, as a reader, I really love that. Like not like not knowing for sure and having to guess. Right, right. No, I love
0: that. Um, cool. Well, what can they expect from you in the future? What is the next book you're working on? You mentioned it's about witches. Is there any other teases yeah. you can offer?
1: I you know I had these uh, you remember Summer of the Wolf remember Summer of the Wolf I remember Summer of uh,
0: the Wolf very well fucking
1: hell um we Randy Randy and I had taken a, a class called experimental playwriting yeah and uh we read like all this really cool stuff that was so not Freitagian and 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 protagonists and agents <laughs> of action like none of that mattered And I really loved that yeah um and I wanted to try writing something um, I had just left Missoula in two thousand and five and all of this anti-gay homophobic violent behavior started happening and it really bothered me and i was reading floating dragon at the time about a serial killer and i i wanted to write something about um uh a, a, a serial killer and violence anti anti-queer violence in a, in a small montana town and, and wolves i don't know why there were wolves all over everything <laughs> when i was there but we were
0: working through some stuff
1: god love me there were wolves. <laughs> and Summer of the Wolf, I tried to turn it into a novel for years and years and years. And then finally, uh two or three years ago, i completed a, a draft. Um, it's ridiculously long. Uh, I think people who grew up in the 80s and were horror fans, I mean, our models were it and the stand and um rice Rice's The Witching Hour, which is 1200 pages, and of just you know, I love that. The yeah. publishers now yeah. do not want to take a chance on you if if your books are longer than 90,000 words which is about 300 pages so i'm i just finished a draft of um what i'm calling witch bones that is probably a series i wanted nice. to get my fingers in a series um and it's 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 i really wanted to lean into montana gothic a lot more too so yeah. uh it focuses a lot on on the prairie and the wind and the darkness and and um but really kind of uh, Old fashioned witches, like yeah, goats and brooms and 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 rotted faces and and uh, gay, gay, gay. It's... Are you gonna try to publish Summer of the Wolf? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 to the point where I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to uh, my publisher and say, nice. hey, uh, what do you think? But Summer of the Wolf is is like my baby. Um, yeah, high school I wrote hundred pages of a book called Ben that split into Black Forest and summer of the wolf and so black forest exists and now i want i really would love summer of the wolf to exist too and i went for a a hour-long walk yesterday by myself and i was listening to music and this is this is how i write really is to um to to do some kind of repetitive task i can do by myself like driving or mowing the lawn or walking and i was sort of plotting out summer of the wolf and seeing how i can get it from 500 pages to maybe like (laughs) Uh, but I think it's doable. I think it's doable while holding onto the essence of again. Um, it, that would actually be a very Stephen King as a novel. Ancient Evil. I was looking at it as the haunting of Hill House meets It. Yeah, kind of with, with I love that with mixed in, right? And again, it's it's nothing. It's it's nothing that I know of right now. Um, these two guys. Uh, want to explore a haunting that happens in this town and the whole town is haunted um, and meanwhile there's forest fires and so the whole valley is full of smoke this is real this happens every summer here and you always feel slightly hallucin- hallucinogenic by mm-hmm. the end of the summer Um, and so I, I get to, I get to have my question of how much of this is really happening and yeah. how much of this is influence my smoke but that's those are the two things that I'm working on right now and an HP Lovecraft play oh shit
0: that sounds really fun is it like an adaptation or is it about yeah yeah
1: I've been working with a a theater for young people in Oregon and the uh, director uh, they just did my they did my adaptation of Dracula last summer and then my queer little women which is called Finding Joe March they did that last week (laughs) and the director said hey do you have anything else we'd really love something about something uh based on H.P. Lovecraft when I said oh let's roll let's, let's do it, it. <laughs> where can people find you online um you can find me on Instagram at by dean and my website which is com. <laughs> and where can people get your book of- um uh, anywhere um it's on Amazon some barnes and noble um inkshares.com uh a lot of local bookstores have it's at Powell's in Oregon. If you like yeah. to I love Powell's. order from Powell's.com. Yeah. Yeah. I like Powell's
0: politics too. So you should yeah. order from there. Um, <laughs> this has been so fun. I love chatting with you, Laramie. I could go on and on, but, uh, but we'll wrap it up here. Um, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, read Laramie's book Buy Laramie's book, follow him on social media. He is a delight. He is uh, mm. somebody who I'm so glad that I've reconnected with. And, um, yeah. And, and thank you all for listening. Uh, this is Rock and Randall. I'm signing off. I got
1: some hot friends. I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends.
0: But you know you want somebody to treat you good. This is the end of our show for now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.